0: Today's gospel lesson comes from Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 6, with a focus in on verse 6. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye, and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet, and then turn and tear you to pieces. This is God's word. Uh, I want to say good morning to everybody. It's good to be able to worship with everybody today um, at our 11 o'clock service. Uh, Today we are going to continue on in our sermon series titled The Hard Sayings of Jesus. And so for the past few months, we've been looking at certain passages throughout the New Testaments in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. And we've been looking at passages where we see hard sayings from Jesus, things that are hard to understand, hard to hear, and hard to accept. And here in the first five verses in Matthew chapter 7, we actually hear something that's not too hard to accept. You know, whether you've been going to church all your life or whether this is your first time in a church, uh, I think we can all agree that it's wrong to judge others. And so when Jesus speaks in these first five verses and he tells you not to judge one another or you will be judged. Don't condemn your brother or you will be condemned. That's all there is. And we can just end the day and pray. But of course, there's more to that. There's more to what Jesus is saying than to just judge others. In fact... What Jesus is saying, when you look at verse six, is you should make right judgments. You should be discerning. You should be assessing correctly. See, what Jesus is teaching here in the first six verses of chapter seven is that there's two types of judgments. One, there's judgments where we step on others, that we speak down and condescend and walk over other people, but then two, There's judgments where we're able to assess and discern and judge rightly. There's a difference between condemnation and examination. Jesus is clearly not just giving us instructions to not judge one another, to not um, make assessments in our lives. He knows that we need something greater than that. Because on our own, we can't not judge one another. Although we can all agree that judging one another is wrong, we all have trouble with it. We're unable to not judge people that we come across. When people don't live up to our standards or our standards of living, what do we do? We pass judgment on them. But there's a difference between passing judgment on others and making assessments. Condemning others, you're hurting them. Making assessments, you're looking to help people. There's a major difference between the two. And so here in verse 6, Jesus is not getting at the symptoms of our condition, but he's speaking to the heart of it, and he's offering a help. And so today we're going to look at two points from verse 6. First, we're going to look at our condition, and second, we're going to look at our help, our condition and our help, and how do we get it. First, our condition. What is our condition? Uh, Let's reread this description that Jesus is giving us here in verse 6. He says, don't give to dogs what is sacred. Don't throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they'll trample them under their feet and tear you apart. What's Jesus saying here? Didn't Jesus just tell us and his disciples and those listening here in Matthew 7 to not judge others? And yet, He goes in verse 6, and he seemingly contradicts himself. He calls people dogs and pigs. He's being a hypocrite. Now, what Jesus is saying here, he's not telling us that we aren't called to make discernments or assessments or evaluate the things in our lives. He's actually telling us that we need to do those things. And so what is Jesus referring to when he talks about the pearls? If we fast forward a few chapters in Matthew chapter 13, Jesus gives another parable, a parable that mirrors the parable here in verse 6. And he talks about the pearl of great price. And he says, the pearl of great price is like the kingdom of heaven. And a merchant sold all of his possessions in order to get this pearl. He didn't sell some of his possessions. He didn't sell some of the things that he values. He sold all of it. Now, that's, that's extremely significant here because what Jesus is saying is this merchant that he's illustrating gave up everything, everything that he worked so hard for just to receive this pearl, the kingdom of heaven. And so what is the kingdom of heaven? When we look at our kingdom, our world, our earth today, there's sin, there's brokenness. Our world has fallen. Sin has called a disturbance in us and around us. And so there's brokenness in us and brokenness everywhere we go. In a sense, sin has dehumanized who we are. Sin has taken away from our humanity, not given us humanity. But the kingdom of God is perfect. In the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, there's no sin. There's no suffering. There's just goodness. There's God's presence. There's God's faithfulness. There's joy and delight. But that kingdom of heaven, that eternal life that we often heard growing up in the church, that's available to you now, here and now. A pearl has tremendous value, has tremendous worth, and it's beautiful. But the pig, they're not aware of it. They can't understand it. Dogs and pigs have senses. They can hear, they can smell, they can taste, they can feel. But they don't know what that pearl is. They look at that pearl and they think to themselves, what is this, is this thing isn't even good for me, what can I do? All a pig thinks about is getting his next fill, filling his appetite, being satisfied and get, becoming a fatter pig. And so when a pig looks at this pearl, it it has no use, it has no value, it has no worth. And pigs can't mindfully see that this pearl is beautiful, that this pearl has value, that this pearl has worth. And so what what is Jesus saying here in verse 6? Oftentimes when people read this verse or they hear sermons preached on this verse, they hear and they read, well, this means... I don't share the gospel with just everybody. Some people aren't going to be open to it, so I'm not going to even waste my time and go there. In fact, I'm going to be put in danger if I do so. Or I'm not going to speak truth into my brothers and sisters because they're not open to it. They're not willing to accept it. And so I'm going to stay away from that because if I do, they're going to trample me and tear me up. But that's not what Jesus is saying here. He's not just saying be mindful for dogs and pigs who are unwilling to listen to the pearls that you offer them. He's saying that's you. He's saying you're not willing or you don't understand or you don't see and are aware of the value that's right in front of you. Our condition isn't just spiritual blindness. The pigs are able to see the pearls. It's right in front of them. But they don't understand what that pearl is. It's not offering them the things that they desire and the appetite that they have within them. All the things that the pigs are concerned about is just filling up their their stomachs and filling up their appetites to become bigger and fatter. But the reality is, what happens to a pig as a pig gets bigger and fatter? He gets slaughtered, he gets killed. There are three things. Well, three things that I'm going to share with you today. Um, There's definitely more than three things uh, about our condition that we see here in verse 6. The first thing is that uh, our condition doesn't allow us to see the beauty and the awe of Jesus and what he has to offer us. The second thing is our condition doesn't allow us, um, or excuse me, our condition causes us to be discomforted, irritated, and agitated. And the third thing is, because of our condition, we trample over others and tear people apart. First, because of our condition, because um, of our pigginess, our appetite, our desire for more and more that are apart from God, we don't see the awe and the beauty and, the, and we don't marvel at Jesus and what he has to offer. Pearls have tremendous value. Pearls are beautiful. They have worth. Jesus is illustrating a lack of understanding of what the pearl is. The pig doesn't recognize what that pearl is, it's not beautiful to the pig. The pig isn't moved by the pearl. What does that mean for us? You know, a lot of us have grown up in the church all our lives or have been part of a church for a very long time. Uh, What Jesus is actually telling us here is that you could attend every Sunday service, go to every community group, give your money to the church, serve the church in tremendous ways. All these things are good things, but you can also do all these things and completely miss the gospel of grace that's provided to you. The reality is that we don't want the pearl, We're just looking to fill our stomachs up, our spiritual stomachs. We're just looking to feed our appetite. And a lot of us use church in that way. A lot of us are very much a part of this church or maybe a different church, active, serving, giving, investing, giving yourself up for it. But there's a stark difference between doing that as a response to the grace that's been given to you versus doing it to become accepted, to be recognized, to be acknowledged, to be seen, to be known. When we do those things, when we become religious to feed our appetite, when we use church to feed our desires and our spiritual appetite, we miss the pearl that's being offered to us. Secondly, because of our condition, when the gospel or the pearl or the kingdom is offered to us, we feel and experience extreme discomfort, agitation and irritation. Pigs don't benefit from a pearl. Pigs are only worried about their next meal. But if a pig so happens to eat that pearl, swallow that pearl, what's gonna happen? The pig will digest that that pearl, that thing that wasn't meant to be eaten, and his stomach's gonna get jacked up. He's gonna go through extreme discomfort. He's gonna digest that pill and think back, what did I just eat? I'm looking for food, I'm looking to get fatter, I'm looking to fill my appetite. This isn't doing the job. In fact, it's making me uncomfortable, it's hurting me, it's putting me through pain, it's putting me through agitation. The reality is, because of our pigginess, Because of our condition, when we see the sacred things that are offered to us, when we see the pearls that Jesus gives us, it irritates us. It doesn't fill our stomachs or fill our appetite. It actually takes away from it. When we're in love with the things of this world, when we look to the things of this world to fill our appetite, to fill uh, this emptiness that we have at the pit of our stomachs, the pearl is no good. Thirdly, because of our condition, we trample and tear up the people around us. Verse 6 concludes, you know, don't throw your pearls to pigs or lest they trample under over them and tear you apart. The reality is Jesus is telling us this parable about Our piggy condition, our pig like condition. And when people offer up words that give us life, we ignore them. In fact, we attack them. Maybe not physically, maybe not even with our words, but in our hearts. Friends, this is the root of our defensiveness when we have good brothers and sisters come to us to address us in our sin, to address us in our idols, what do we normally do? We get defensive. I've experienced this for a long time. Anytime anybody tries to address me, what's the first thing I think of? You know who you're talking to? What you're saying has no worth or value in my life, You're completely wrong. You don't know what it's like to be me. I am doing the right thing. I am doing the good things. You don't live my life, and so how can you even address me in this kind of way? Furthermore, we attack their character. We don't see them as good friends. We actually see them as enemies. We hear the words that they say to us, and we don't take it in. Rather, we trample over them. And those very people who have offered those life-giving words to us, what do we do? We tear them apart. Our condition needs help. But here in the same verse, in verse 6, Jesus offers this help. Jesus is saying that we have lost the very things that made us human. We live like pigs, we just go after what will fill us up, what will make us fatter. We've given ourselves away to the world and we lost our own humanity. We're constantly worried and consumed about the worldly things in our lives, the things that will bring us satisfaction, the things that we think will bring us joy, the things that we think will bring us happiness, the things that we think will bring us peace. But Jesus doesn't just know our condition. He offers us a help for our condition. That leads me to the second point. Our help. What is our help? What is the help that we have for our condition? The solution to our problem isn't to just eat more, to just fill our stomachs up more, to become fatter, spiritually fatter, The solution also isn't just be mindful and try to realize what the pearl is. No matter how hard a pig can try, he will never know what that pearl is. What the pig needs is to be renewed. It needs to be born again. It needs to become a new creation. How do you go from the pig being described here in this parable in verse six to the merchant that Jesus illustrates in Matthew 13. In Matthew 7:6, Jesus describes this pig who is only concerned with his next meal and his next fill. But in Matthew 13, Jesus describes a merchant, a jeweler, somebody who was probably rich and had a lot of nice things. And yet this merchant gave up all of his possessions just for this single pearl. How do you go from becoming a pig to a merchant who has everything and gives it all up? We need to remember the context in which Jesus is is in. He's he's teaching his disciples. Matthew 7 occurs um, in what we call the Sermon on the Mount. And so Jesus is preaching about the coming kingdom that has arrived here on earth. And Jesus is teaching his followers what it means to follow Christ, but he's also teaching them what it means to be a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. And here he's not only teaching about their condition, but he's also teaching about their help. You know, Christian, Christianity is, is often mistaken as uh, the religion for the hope of tomorrow. You know, growing up, um, knowing people who are in the church. Um, the typical line is, um, you know, do good, believe in Jesus, believe that he died for your sins, and you'll have eternal life. You'll make it to heaven. You'll make it to the kingdom of heaven. Um, as long as you're, you know, a decent person, uh, you, you, you say you believe Jesus, then you'll be okay. But the reality is that uh, there's, there's no hope f- from that. There's no power in that. In fact, that takes away from your hope. How good do you have to be to make it to heaven? How good do you have to be to have eternal life? The truth of it is, you can't be that good. You're not that good. There was a culture of of religiosity that Jesus was in when he was preaching the Sermon on the Mount here in Matthew 7. There was a, a, a culture of religion that existed in Jesus' time. But the reality is that culture of religion exists here today in our world. Even if you haven't gone to church, even if this is your first time in a church building, we're all religious. The reality is religion means I know what I want. I know what I want. I know what I need. I know what I need to be happy. I know what I want in order to find peace in my life. And I'm going to work and I'm going to sacrifice and I'm going to invest and I'm going to pour into that thing. And I'm going to give myself up in order for me to get that very thing. And we do that to get a sense of recognition, a sense of approval, a sense of being loved. There's physical idols and there's spiritual idols in our lives. What do you do most of your time? Are you in the workplace working over 40 hours a week to collect a paycheck so you could buy more things? So you could buy the dream home and the dream car, go on the dream vacation? Or maybe you're a student, and you're constantly consumed on the next assignment and the next exam, and you don't have time for anything else. Because the most important thing to you right now is to get that A. Because once you get that A, then you'll get that job. And once you get that job, you'll get that wife or that husband. And then once you have that wife or that husband, you'll have those children. And as we continue to make our money, then we can go into an early retirement. And then you die. What then? The reality is that we're constantly looking towards other things to fill our appetite, to fill our spiritual appetite and our spiritual needs. But we're looking to things that can't do the job. Our religiosity can be found in our careers, our relationships, our hopes, our dreams. You don't have to go to church to be a religious person. Jesus sees our condition. He knows our condition. He offers up help for our condition. You know, he tells his disciples, you know, don't throw sacred things to dogs. Don't throw pearls to pigs, uh, lest they trample over them and they tear you up. But when we fast forward again to Matthew chapter 27, what do we see Jesus do? Jesus gives himself up to the animals. He gets trampled on, beaten, mocked, and left for dead. And he gets torn up on the cross. On the cross, Jesus gave himself up, and he was trampled and torn by beasts. He was trampled, torn, beaten, mocked by the animals, and he did it for the very people that put him there, me and you. Jesus left his kingdom so that you can enter into his kingdom. Jesus took on the judgment and God's wrath so that you would be shown compassion. This is the gospel message that a lot of us have heard every Sunday for years, that Jesus took our place on the cross, took on our punishment for our sin, so that we would be given a rich inheritance, so that we would be given access to God the Father, so that we can delight and find joy in him. And yet, that's not beautiful to you anymore. On the cross, what does Jesus do? He's wide open, and he recites Psalm 22. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But he must have had that entire psalm in mind. Because when we look at verse 12 and 13, it says, many bulls surround me, roaring lions tearing their prey opened their mouths wide against me. The wild animals were turning on Jesus and they were tearing him apart. Jesus was experiencing the ultimate torture and the ultimate torment. Do you trust in that? Do you believe that? Do you see the beauty in that? Do you see the awe in that? Many of us can recite the gospel, speak the gospel, talk gospel language, but do you really know it? Do you really know what it means that Christ will give up his life for you? If you do, to the degree that you trust that, to the degree that you believe in that, he will make you beautiful. He will give you value, and you will be his treasure. What does it mean to, to be renewed, to be a new creation, to be reborn? Um, Pastor Donnie, a few weeks ago, preached a great sermon on John chapter 3, where uh, we, we have the account and the story of Nicodemus coming to Jesus um, out of curiosity Um, And Jesus says to Nicodemus, Nicodemus, who was a Pharisee, most likely wealthy, had a high pedigree and status. Uh, And Nicodemus asks Jesus, uh, what do I need to do to get into the kingdom of God? And Jesus responds to Nicodemus and he says, you must be born again. You must be reborn. And in the very following chapter in John chapter 4, what do we see? We see the Samaritan woman. Doing the most mundane things that she does daily in her life, drawing water from a well. And we see Jesus meet this Samaritan woman at the well to give her life giving water. And there, in the mundaneness of her life, she's reborn and renewed. You know, oftentimes when you hear the term uh, born again Christian or uh, a Christian who's been reborn, Um, You know, those guys, you know, and, and praise God to the work that Uh, God is doing for them, but oftentimes you hear, um, you know, those guys recite their their date that they've been converted, and, um, you know, they tell a radical story about, you know, um, going through tremendous hardship and tremendous suffering. You know, examples of that could be going to prison or, um, you know, dealing with a, a death of a family member or somebody close to them, and Jesus met them in their suffering and in their hurt and in their pain and brought them back to life. And and that's what we think it means to be reborn or born again or be made a new creation. But the reality is that rebirth and renewal happens in the most mundane things of our lives. You know, when I walked through these church doors about seven years ago, I was broken. I was beat up. I was a hot mess. I've gone through tremendous hardship and suffering in my life. And maybe I do a poor job of telling my testimony, but I came here a hot mess. Growing up in a single by a single mother without a father, growing up broke and poor. And then I came to church and I didn't become a Christian as soon as I walked in. I was uh, I was addicted to drugs. I was c- completely lost in my life. But I sat in those seats. And I listened to the preacher preach week after week after week. And I would go to community groups week after week after week, asking questions, hearing the gospel preached every Sunday. You've been saved by grace. You've been justified by the work of Jesus on the cross. And then one day it clicked. Up to that point, I was just banking on being good, being religious. But the reality is my Damascus Road wasn't on Kensington Ave. It was right there on Ridge and Midvale. It was in some of your homes where you cared for me even though I might have trampled on you and tear you up. Don't look for Jesus to give you joy, to give you peace, to give you satisfaction. If you look to Jesus to only give you those things, you'll constantly try to earn your way up for it. Look to Jesus to be your joy, to be your peace, and to be your satisfaction. Lastly, I want us to reconsider again the context that Jesus is in when he's teaching here in Matthew chapter 7. He's teaching to his disciples and he's teaching to his followers. He's with his friends. In order for you to be reborn, to be made new, you need God's word, You need his spirit, and you need some good friends. You need friends that will speak life into you. You need friends that will advance you even at their own cost. You need friends that will risk their life, who accepts you for who you are, but doesn't just leave you where you are. And they do it all at the risk of their own life. After all, That's what Jesus did for us. He didn't do it at the risk of his life. He did it by dying on the cross for us at the cost of his life. Let's pray.